0: The Ten Commandments. Uh, I don't know how you visualize the Ten Commandments, but the guys will put a, this is, this is how I see the Ten Commandments in my head a lot of times, like that, right? So, uh, you know, Moses to me is Charlton Heston, for those of you young enough not to know who that is, and while I, I definitely don't feel that uh, Moses had the, the uh, sculpted jawline of this Hollywood star, or the, I mean, look at that hair, I mean, that's, that's a beard even, brand, you know, puts Brandon, you know, uh, you know envying. And so, you know, we kind of see this picture, right? The, 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 you know, the music and the awe and the wonder and the colors of the outfits. And, you know, we, we kind of have that experience with the Ten Commandments, perhaps from Sunday schools or, uh, as I always like to reference, how I learned most of the Bible as a young man, flannel graph, right? So, uh, you know, in, in that, we, we can think of our relationship maybe of seeing, uh, you know, uh, how do we get the Ten Commandments back in front of the people? How do we get them back to our schools? How do we, you know, uh, signs out in people's front yard, maybe a billboard on the interstate, reminding us of this law that God himself wrote to his people. But wherever you come from today, I, I just want us to look with fresh eyes and to see clearly God's word. So in order to do that, we're, all we're going to do is we're going to start with where we've been, kind of reading where, where we've been through in, in Exodus chapter 20 up to, again, the seventh commandment today. So turn, turn if you will, with me to Exodus chapter 20, and then we're going to read verses 1 uh, through 14. It says there in, in verse 1, it says, And God spoke these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and, all, and do all your work. But on the seventh day in the Sabbath to the Lord your God. The seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. And on it you shall not do any work. You, your son, your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in the six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, that the days may be long, that your days may be long in the land, and the Lord your God, that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery. Only a few moments ago. We had an opportunity to, to recite together the truth regarding the commands. The question was asked who is it that can obey God's command? No one. So, today, I, as we enter in, I wanted, want to re emphasize as a footing for us today what Pastor John has so beautifully been laying out for us so far that the beauty is to see God's holiness and purity and righteousness before his people commanded in law that does this it reveals our deep need for the delivering work of our soul through Jesus Christ alone it is an invite and with that comes the invitation to joy and freedom and a life dependent on the holy spirit if you heard nothing else that i said say today hear that this is an invitation of god for you to live in freedom in a life dependent on the power of the Holy Spirit. The seventh commandment. The seventh commandment involves our sexuality, right? The the sexual activity of our lives. In specific, it's the prohibition of breaking the covenantal marriage in sexual infidelity and to run outside of that marriage to another. Now, Jesus... Would uh, Jesus would take this truth and expand on it for us in Matthew chapter five? So in Matthew chapter five, so so as we come to to that command that the the this deep sin of adultery, and let me tell you, the sin of adultery is a devastating form of sexual immorality of sexual sin in that it does two things. One, it takes the sexual relationship outside of its God given boundary within covenantal marriage and it moves it outside into the world of our sinful desire, which we would call sexual immorality. But it's also the breaking of a covenant with God. Again, today, marriages are hopped in and out of. There's not a sense of breaking of covenant of being a very big deal. God's word would command the seriousness in the seventh commandment. So Jesus, uh, in, in his largest discourse would find himself with a crowd before him, uh, predominantly religious leaders, who'd come out to hear what he had to say. And in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, recorded for us in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, and other places in the Gospels, uh, Jesus is going to address this very command with them. As As they're seeking to poke around the edges, as he can look into the hearts of people. And so his illumination for us today of this command is this. If, if you're one who hears the command of adultery and, and sees, oh, there's where the line is, let me figure out how to get right next to it. Maybe put one foot over, one foot back. But you're always seeking to push that boundary and, and thinking, hey, it's, it's, it's not that far. I haven't really crossed this boundary. Listen to the words that, that Christ would say to the crowd in, in uh, Matthew chapter 5, verses 27 and 28. And he says this, you've heard it said that you should com- not commit adultery, but I say to you, Anyone who looks on a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. See, Christ could see into the hearts of the people. And what he did is he took those things that we want to keep hidden. Those things that nobody would know. Nobody can read a script, the lust of our heart. And he'd say, you know what this prohibition is in this command? It's not just what people can see. It's not what you just get caught in. I'm speaking to the desires of your heart. And he would illuminate the command in that way for us. The other thing the crowd wanted to do is this, and we do the same thing. It's not like this is a crowd of people I don't recognize. I recognize them because I see them in the mirror. But they would seek to find a loophole in the command. Is there some way this adultery thing can be, I I can find a workaround? So listen what he says in Matthew chapter uh, uh, 5, verse 31 and 32. He says this, It is also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that anyone who divorces his wife, except on the grounds of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Now, the context of this is this. There were religious people who found a loophole that what I can do is I can throw away my wife. For any reason. Maybe her cooking's not good. I don't like whatever feature about her. And I'm just going to find a way. I'm not being gratified by her. And so I'm going to find a way to to pencil whip some legal documents, to find a loophole to this adultery, and I'm going to cast her away. Christ said, is that what the seventh command is about? No. No. See, Christ would speak to the desire, again, of the heart. The 7th commandment then is this, it's the prohibition of all, listen carefully, of all sexual immorality outside the boundaries of covenantal heterosexual marriage. That's what the 7th commandment requires. In keeping it, there are no loopholes. In keeping it, there are no hidden inward lust or uncovered perversions. Today, that's the gravity of what we see in the seventh commandment. It's a call away from the perversions and twisted natures that our desires can lead us to. There's two types of responses to that truth. One is to see the great beauty in that command. For those who experience the bitter painfulness of adultery. For those who would experience abuse at the hands of sexual perversion. A command of God to say, don't live that way, it's a beautiful thing. To the wife whose husband is running away, to the husband whose wife is running away, the command did not do that, is beautiful freedom. And there's a sense of the beauty of the command. But there is another response. And that's to feel restrained or even chafed or angered by this command. You know, I kind of picture this in the way of when I, when I, I walk my dog. And uh, before you give me counseling on how I need to give her obedience training, she's old and doesn't have much. You know, it's the old dog, new trick problem. When I take her for a walk, I used to really pull her little chain and make sure that she'd keep right there with me. But now I've just let it all go and, and let her, and she will pull so hard against that range, she will choke herself trying to get where she desires to go. And sometimes I think we feel the same way about this command in the sex, to sexual morality, to the right view of sex in our Christian life. We feel chafed by it. Maybe we say something like this it's, it's backward, it's outdated, you're, you're way too narrow minded. It's out of touch with modern society. And let me tell you, I'm not talking about a world outside. I'm talking about us. I'm talking about my heart. And think, is it really possible to keep sex within the boundaries of committed marriage only? We find that it just doesn't, maybe it works for some, it's just not a fit for all. Uh, Jonathan Grant, uh, in his book Divine Sex, asked the question this way, and he said this, what is it about our cultural moment, in meaning just current day, that makes the Christian vision of sex seem naive or unrealistic at best, or at, at downright repressive at worst, even to many young Christians. He goes on to say this: why does the church view sexuality, its rules and restrictions, why did the view of that not resonate with so many contemporary believers? You know, in in preparing for any message, we we try to look at the world that we're living in. You know, and and as we all know, facts and statistics are not the whole story. But I don't need to turn to facts and, and statistics to see that the world around me has no care for this seventh commandment. I look at the programs on our televisions. I look at the magazines we produce. I look at the movies we go to. I challenge you to think of a movie that shows a committed, loving, marital relationship. Maybe on the Hallmark Channel, I don't know. But not many. Not many. There's just no excitement in it. There's no reality where we live today in that kind of life. It just doesn't fit in. We also see that this this view of the naivete, of sexual purity, are just relics to be left by the wayside. But we must consider what it is about the current thinking that we have in our modern culture and world Guys, we live in a culture and in a world around us, and it affects what we view and how we view the Seventh Commandment. And so just briefly, I want to touch on three views of the self right, that are promulgated in our current culture that affect the way we come to the Seventh Commandment. Okay? This is not intended to be an exhaustive list. We could spend the remaining you know, periods of time through the end of this year discussing what it is going on in our culture regarding sexual immorality. But this is just a cry to look out and see these areas and how they affect the way we view uh, the Seventh Commandment. So, first is identity. The heart cry of where we live today is that the true identity, the true understanding of yourself, the, the personification, the identification of an individual is generated from within the person. It's through choice. It's brought about by the opportunity to fully embrace all of our wants and all of our desires. It's the sense that identity is really when you are capable and free of restraint to come to a self-realization that finds no identity in a sovereign or an almighty outside of itself. It's a world where an individual can create an identity of themselves regardless of of their background beliefs or where they come from. It's the throwing off of all restraint and all desire, making no excuses or apologies. What this view causes us to do is come to the seventh commandment and say, well, doesn't that limit my ability to discover my identity? Doesn't that limit who I can become in this seventh commandment? Would God really want me to not be my true and authentic self? Is there something in the seventh command that that, that works against How can that be so? How can God expect me to honor that seventh commandment? We also see that that in modern times, not just the identity, but there's a sense of individualism. And it goes somewhere along this line that and Jonathan Grant, again, just described where his thought was on this. He said that most people view kind of the troubles of life as dependent on because of the baggage from maybe dysfunctional relationships or the constraints of relationships that drive us away from really discovering our true self. It's this way of thinking that leads to say, you know what, I agree with the, the, the commandment to, to, to uh, honor God in sex and marriage just not applicable to me, just doesn't applicable to me, you know, that's my personal choice, that's, that's really my personal choice, and you don't have a right, God, i speaking to us, to speak into that in my life, and it causes us to see it that way. It also causes us to make the tragic disconnect to believe that the choices we make in private with our sexual desires have no effect on a body of believers that we're united with, to think it doesn't affect our families, our loved ones, those that will follow after us, because the individual is most important. I was reading a few weeks ago, and not that I do a lot of reading on, on Satanism, uh, but uh, I don't know if, you, if you're aware of this, but in 2015, um, the, uh, the IRS actually uh, sanctioned and authorized and, and understood there to be a church of Satan. And if you do a little reading on it, you'll find that, that what they came out and said, is, we don't worship Satan. In fact, We're the exact opposite of worship of anything. What we don't believe is there is a supremacy outside, listen to this, the sovereignty of the self. That we create a world where everybody is free to do what they want. It's amazing to me. It's amazing to me. That's exactly the voice of this world. It will cause us to view the seventh commandment through that lens. This, this also bears uh, no explanation because it's where we live. And, and I don't mean to be cliche about this seventh cultural or the third cultural point, but it's, but it's consumerism. It's consumerism. Do you know, right now, we live in a historical time that never in human history have a group of people had access, in, like in our country, to so much wealth, prosperity want, and opportunities to get and consume. It's the message that you will find true joy and happiness by getting more and more and more and more. The problem is, this causes us to view the sexual desire in our life through the same lens of consumerism. It causes us to see that that I must find a way to fulfill every desire that I have and desire more and more and more and more. You know, slogans read something like this. Life is short. Have an affair. Because you don't want to miss out on your opportunity to have more. More. Jonathan Grant said it this way. I think there's some beauty in what he had to say here consumerism trains us to acquire, consume, and move on, listen to this, with novelty as our only guiding impulse. You know what that means? It means sexually if I'm a little tired of what I have, throw it out and get the new. Only the new is what's exciting. Only the new is what brings enjoyment. And to constrain that in any way is to limit my ability to find true joy and happiness. But he continues on in that quote to say, the sad reality, though, is what we do with things we inevitably do with people. So quickly, let's look at identity. We know it's not true. You don't define your own identity. You know Which one of you picked your DNA code? Right? You didn't pick where you were born. You didn't pick the color of your skin. Those are things that are part of your identity that you have nothing to do with. Yet the cry is, none of those things matter when we will rightly view ourselves, we will see that our identity is endowed by a holy God. There is not a person on the face of this earth whose identity was not known and shaped and formed by an almighty God before they were ever born. It says that God even knows your identity down to the number of hair on your head. For some of you, that's a small number. Individualism. The tragic truth is, we know we are not separated from relationships or affecting others. We know that you were born out of relationship. None of you got here by being an individual entity under yourself. None of you. We're all born in relationship, wired for it, designed for it, and affected by it. I cannot tell you the, the conversations that I've had with friends. And they looked at me and said, you know what? it's going to be better for me to leave this relationship because I'm not being honest with my family who I am. It's better for me to walk out on my... As I'm begging them not to damage their family. And The idea is this. What matters is my individualism, not my relationship. Sadly, consumerism, the, can, can you honestly say you've ever gotten something in life that was so great you never wanted more? No. We, did, we don't find... There is a never... It's like the carrot before the proverbial horse. The never-satisfying appetite to consume never has an end. It leads us to viewing the sexual relationship the same way. and Tragically, this is the seed that often grows into all form of abuse and perversion, trying to get more and more and more. But the call of the seventh commandment is to not view the gu- in, to view the seventh commandment in view of the world, but to see it through our ultimate example: who lived the most authentic life ever? Jesus Christ, the most authentic life ever. His identity. Given by God the Father who would declare, this is my Son in whom I'm well pleased. Who found purpose in in meaning, not not in just sinful gratifications. Because listen to this. If we will define our identity in terms of getting what we desire, freedom from restraint, then your identity lives within the narrow confines of your sinful gratification. Christ said that's not where identity belongs. In relationship, Jesus lived in constant communion with the Father and with the people around him. Not following his own will, but that of his Father. And ultimately, the antidote for consumerism is sacrifice. That sacrificial life that Jesus ransomed, his death and resurrection that gives us freedom. In viewing Christ, we see the true view of self. But I just want you to imagine for a moment what it would look like if we obeyed the seventh commandment the way God intended not in the in the in the outward hiding loophole treading the line way but in its fullness in the desires of our heart. Can you imagine where a husband and wife could fully count on one another without ever a single fear of betrayal, with no worry of the wandering eye, no thought of emotional infidelity, no worry about what they're doing when I'm not around. Can you imagine a world in which sexual purity is cherished and honored? The beauty of entering into marriage undefiled. Where there's a sacrificial denial of self in a relationship. That sacrificial denial of yourself, instead of looking at what that other person can give to me, what I could consume from them, where it's approached, what can I give to them? Where we approach that marriage relationship as a sacrificial love, the only place in which true intimacy can grow. A world where sexual perversion and sexual abuse don't exist where no one is treated as an object of somebody's sinful desire. You just have to turn on the news. I I hate to say I'm not shocked anymore to what I read. And listen, the same sinful desire in my heart is the same drive that drives all of those things that we see in the news that we say we can't imagine. Is that true? We can't imagine them? Do we see the same temptations in our own hearts? And listen to this. What if we could live in a world with a clear conscience? None of the worry of being found out. None of the stress of trying to hide or worry, but living openly with a clear conscience. Does this world sound like bondage? Does that sound like God wanting to take us into a place of servitude and bondage and no joy? Not at all. This is the true beauty of the seventh commandment. It's the beauty of what the faithfulness and holiness of God bring. But how is it that we break the commandment? I doubt very few enter into their day of marriage. I won't say always and ever because those are never right. (laughs) The idea of entering into marriage thinking, hey, I'm just going to, Break this thing off here soon and, and run off in another relationship. That's not the idea and the way we enter into breaking this command. But it's, it's the slow moves. It's the little bit of lust in life that goes unchecked. Maybe it's hidden. Maybe it's uh, the thing that nobody knows about, nobody possibly could imagine. Perhaps it begins with a little bit of dissatisfaction. Uh, maybe it's the idea with a spouse that says, yeah, yeah, this just isn't what I signed up for. I thought I was getting something else. This just isn't, this isn't what I was down for. So it begins to grow this dissatisfaction. And then comes along another attraction. And the flirting excitement begins to grow. And on goes with it, the desire. Or maybe it grows out of conflict. We just can't seem to get along. There's got to be someone else out there that's better, better related to me. Maybe it's this. Maybe it's a sense of desire for adventure that's been unfulfilled. You know, the the clock is marching on for all of us, right? Life is passing us by. And what that sinful sexual desire will drive us to is to say, you know what? You're missing out on so much. You're missing out on all of this. And so it begins to grow. We begin to feel like this time is pressing. If we don't take action on our sinful desire, we'll lose it. And this spark begins to take over control. Proverbs chapter 6, Solomon writing to his son wrote in, in really all the, the first chapters of Proverbs, he wrote about the very topic of adultery a lot. Uh, we won't go through all the language. Go read that sometime. It's very uh, to the point. But he'd write in chapter 6 this, this idea that, that what adultery is like, it's like uh, in the King James Version, it says like a man scooping hot coals into his own lap. Uh, maybe a more literal translation is kind of embracing or hugging. It says carrying coals close to your chest. It's this idea of running and grabbing onto, trying to love the thing that is going to destroy you. It's going to burn you. It's going to, it's going to create misery. It's going to hurt you. And it's saying, it's saying that desire, that passion to violate the seventh commandment is this desire to run and embrace that thing. I am no student of Greek and I will not pretend to be. Right? I look these things up. Epithuma, the Greek word for lust, right? The most literal translation is this. It's over desire. It's over desire. Uh, Before I get too far, I I want to to give us an idea. Uh, Bob Thune wrote this thought down, and I I love what he had to say here. He says that really this whole thing about breaking the seventh commandment starts here. It's the last stop on the journey of disordered desires. You see, the the real truth is what happens is our desire begins to go the wrong order. We've got the wrong desire up top. So again, this idea of over-desire I think is is painted for us in pictures that we can see in the real world. Uh, December 26th of 2004, families literally had traveled from all over the world to the southwest coast of Thailand. And uh, right around the the Christmas holidays, they'd gathered together to enjoy the sun and the palm trees and, and, uh, you know, the beauty that's there, again, written in travel magazines and some of those beautiful places to visit on the earth. And the water, which typically, uh, you know, uh, created this picturesque background, which uh, was a source of enjoyment, of relaxation, that water would begin to overrun its borders. As an unprepared for tsunami would cause that water to break its boundary and rush up in to the people. What would happen is a mother and a child would have been ripped from one another. Absolute destruction as buildings were wiped out. Why? Because the water overran its border. The same thing is true for our sexual desire. When we get the order out of order... And it overruns the boundaries and borders that God has given to create the beautiful, picturesque enjoyment in our life. When it overruns that boundary, it is more tragic than a tsunami could ever be. Philosophers and, and uh, psychologists have, have tried to kind of imagine the scenario of, of dealing with the sinful sexual desire or, or just sexual desire in this way. Think of it like a a rider on top of a beast. They're trying to control this wild beast, right? Where the rider is the intellect. It's the mind. It's the choice. It's really the one that's supposed to be in control. But below them sits the beast, who is the seat of the emotion, the seat of the passion, the urge. And that rider, as he sits on top of that beast, trying to control it, cannot get this thing under control. And he feels hopeless sitting on top of the beast. And today, I think that's where many of us are with our sexual desire. It's become for us that beast we don't know how to control. It's come for us that thing that it is, it's impossible. How in the world can I ever gain control over this in my life? Think about this. Solomon, wisest man in all the Bible, recorded for us, what did he fall to in his life? Adultery. Sexual Sin. Samson, the strongest man in the Bible, what did he fall to? Lust, sexual sin, it destroyed him. David, the man after God's own heart, what is the sin we're recorded and often remember his life by and the tragic end to to many things in his family? Adultery and sexual sin. The reality is, this is serious. This is serious. This disordered desire is not something to be taken lightly. But into our hopelessness, God offers the solution. And the solution is this, rightly ordered desire. It can feel absolutely, utterly hopeless to control our sinful nature. But there's hope. And the hope is this. Please hear me. The hope that there is a love. There is a love for you in life. There is a desire for you in life that if you will put it at the top, if you will allow the Holy Spirit to grow it in you, will order the other desires of your life. I gave this illustration wasn't planning to in the first service. I want to share it again with you here. I can remember as a young man struggling in the area of sexual morality and, uh, you know, involved in youth groups, knowing the truth, raising a family that taught me God's Word, And I remember to myself, I thought, well, i got an idea. I'm going to take this little post, no, it was like, I don't know, one of those yellow sheets. I folded it over and I took my little ballpoint pen out. And I thought, I'm going to write in really big words, obey God. And I drew these big block stencils and I spent time coloring it in as dark. Because I thought the bigger it is, the longer it takes, the more serious I will take it. And what I'm going to do is whenever I'm tempted, I'm going to look over at those words and I'm I'm just going to try to do better. How do you think it worked? See, what I discovered, that we all discover when we come to the commands of God, is it is impossible without the blood of Jesus Christ as our Savior, without the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, it is impossible for us to honor the command of God. So then how is it that we can order this love correctly? And I want to tell you today it's this. It's that we see the great love that God has for us. Hosea, minor prophet in the Old Testament. Usually a book we don't spend a lot of time on in, in services. I, I think I've been in one church in my entire life that did a study on Hosea. But it's a very interesting um, picture that God painted with real people. It's not, it's not a fantasy narrative. It's, it's a true story. But God would use the life of Hosea to illustrate his relationship to his people. In this book, that we see that God commanded in, in Hosea chapter 1, verse 2, I'll just read what God commanded of Hosea. He said, Go take for yourself a wife of whoredom and the children of whoredom, for the, man, the, the land commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. Now, I can't read it any other way. That's what the Bible says. He said, I want you to go marry a prostitute. I want you to have children with that prostitute, but I want that prostitute to be your wife. Why? Because that's what it looks like in my relationship to my people. Now, what would happen is, we're not recorded every detail, but in Hosea, what, what, what Gomer, this wife, would do is she would continue her wayward ways. And she would look at the relationships with other lovers, and she would say to herself, these other lovers will satisfy me more. These other things will give me what I need and desire. And she would run to these lovers. And here's the picture that's painted in God's Word in chapter 2 of Hosea. And we won't have all the verses, but trust me, just due to time. What the picture is, is of a woman who's leaving and running off from her husband to to be with other lovers. While the husband is still continuing to care for her. The lover's not caring for her. The lover's not taking care of her. It's still her husband. In the process of time, what, what Gomer would realize, like we all realize with the sinful desires and where they lead, is it left there empty, broken, and literally on a slave block auction. Now, I don't know about you ladies, but the picture, or or, or men, of standing naked on an auction block to be sold as property is a tragic state. Let me tell you, that's where God found all of us. Every single one of us. He found us on an auction block, stripped of our dignity, stripped of hope, no way of pleasing God, no way of being reunited with the Father. And he said, into that, I love you. There's nothing you can do to make my love more true for you. There's nothing you can do to earn it. There isn't a list, a checkbox, nothing you can do to earn my love. I love you what God would command Hosea, listen to this. God commanded Hosea in chapter 3, he said, he commanded her to go buy his wife back. He said, and Hosea said this, so I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and a homer and a lekith of barley. Now, again, I, I've, I've looked at this verse in, a lot of times and I came to that and I thought, why the barley? I mean, <laughs> want the silver or not? I mean, like, I, I don't know, silver, barley, I don't, I, it doesn't, doesn't make sense to me. The picture is this. Hosea searched all that he had. He gathered every piece of silver he could find, and he realized that's just not enough. So then he went to find more of what he had. He scoured the cupboard, found the last bit, and gave all he had to buy back this woman. Not to make her a slave, but to make her again his bride. You see, for you and me, the great hope of the gospel Is It is the power in us, through the Holy Spirit, to honor God, rightly ordering our desire, to see the great depth of love he has for us that will order all other desire. Ephesians chapter 3, Paul would say the same truth to his people and he would say it this way. Speaking of the love of God, he would say, May You you may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, the length, the height, and the depth. And what is he talking about? The massive, incomprehensible love that God has for you. And why? That you may know the love of Christ that surpasses, it means it's more than you can imagine, that you may be filled with the fullness of God. We sit oftentimes in our sexual sin and our immorality, and we sit in churches week after week thinking, there's not a single person I can tell. I cannot tell you the countless number of people, including people on pastoral staffs who've come to me, and in my own heart I'm going to talk about other people, in my own heart, thinking, "Who in the world can I talk to? Who can understand what I'm going through with my sexual sin? Where do I go? I can't reveal this, the condemnation, the weight of it, and let me tell you. What God wants to show you is how much he loves you. He won't cast you out. He doesn't want to reject you. What he wants to show you is the beauty of his holiness and the freedom of his law. When we will choose to rightly view the seventh commandment, when we will come to Christ in repentance, you will find love, acceptance, forgiveness, freedom, and joy. Let's pray. Dear Father, I pray that your word was honored today. God, I, I thank you for the monumental effect your truth has had on my life. Lord, I pray that you would free us in our lives and in our hearts from thinking that by in some way we are required to earn your love. God, I pray that the reality of your deep love brought to us by a Savior who gave all he had to redeem us from our sin become the all-encompassing passion of our life. God, that we would hear your words so beautifully spoken commanding us to love God with all our heart, our soul, our mind, and our strength. God, I pray that you would grow in this body to be a place of authenticity and honesty where, God, we deal with one another in grace and mercy, never looking to condemn, never looking to throw out, but God looking to love and care and guide. Lord, we thank you for your truth today. We thank you for your love I pray, God, in all things that this was to the glory of your name. We pray, amen.